Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever you are part of something bigger than yourself, you are generally expected to behave and live in a manner that's worthy of that thing. Maybe children or young people, you've heard something like this from one of your parents. We don't do that here. In other words, what they're saying is you are a part of this family. And being part of this family means that you don't do that, whatever that is. Other families, other kids might, might do that. But you are a part of this family. And because of that, because you are a part of this family, you must live, you must behave in a certain way. In a way that's worthy of the family you are a part of. It's the same same way when you're an employee or, or a student, isn't it? You are expected to live and to behave in a way that's worthy of the company or of the school to which you belong. Well, it's no different when it comes to being a Christian. And yet somehow it's so easy for us to think that it is. We can be prone to think that our baptism or confession of faith and and perhaps our attendance at the Lord's Supper are all that's really important. We're prone to think that as long as we go to church on Sundays, well, that's enough. As long as we have a good worship experience, something that lifts us up and, and makes us feel good, that's the important thing. The way we live the rest of the week, well, that's, that's pretty well up to us. That kind of thinking, congregation, can be a sign that our faith isn't real, that we're not true believers. But on the other hand, even, even believers can, can be tempted into this kind of thinking. They can slip into this kind of thinking. It's so easy. Though we have to confess, it's so easy to get caught up in our, our own lives. We have our jobs, we have our, our families. So busy, you know, and, and then it's, it's so hard, really. It's so hard, isn't it, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel in a world that's so hostile to the gospel. Wouldn't it be much easier? This is often what we can be tempted to think. Wouldn't it be much easier to just keep Christianity to one day a week? Or, or at least wouldn't it be wiser to just shave off some of the sharp edges of the gospel to make it a little more attractive, a little less offensive, a little less demanding? Well, the answer of our text, Philippians 1 verses 27 to 30, is no. Look with me again at at verse 27. If if you are able, please have your Bibles open to the passage and follow along during the sermon. Here's what the first part of verse 27 says. Only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. Now the first thing we need to understand here is that this word conversation is not simply a reference to our speech. You know, we'll have conversations conversations with each other after, after the service. And hopefully they will be conversations worthy, uh, conversations that become the gospel of of Christ. But but the the meaning of this word, conversation, is is more than that. And I'll explain it in more detail in a few moments. But but in essence, it is a reference to the way we live, to our conduct. And so in other words, beloved, what what verse 27 is is saying to us as, as a congregation is that 
Christians cannot live however they want. We cannot do whatever we want with the gospel. It's not our gospel. It's the gospel of Christ. I was talking with someone before, before church about reading a, a book by John Owen called The Glory of Christ. And, and, and as we go through this passage, we, remember, we need to remember this. This is the gospel of Christ. This is the, the, the gospel of the one who was all glorious, who was all beautiful, who is who's glorious in his, his prophetic work and his, his priestly work and his kingly work who is glorious as a son of God. It's the gospel of of Christ. And and all of us, all who hear this gospel, are called to repent and to believe it. And when we do that, when we do that, when by grace we repent and believe this gospel of Christ and become partakers of it so that we have fellowship in the gospel, then we must live in a manner worthy of it. Christians, that's what our text is saying, Christians must live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so our theme, with God's help, is living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we'll consider this theme under three headings. First of all, its supreme importance. And secondly, its essential features. And thirdly, its great encouragement. So our text is about living in a manner worthy of the gospel. Notice first with me, its supreme importance. We need to remember here the context. Paul's been speaking. He's been speaking about his situation in Rome. He's in chains. He's at the mercy of the Roman emperor, waiting, awaiting his, his verdict. But, but we noticed over the last couple of weeks, he's not really concerned about that, is he? What, what is he concerned about, children? What, what, is Paul, what, is, what matters most to Paul? It's that the gospel of Christ is being proclaimed, that it's being preached. Why? Why? Because that's the gospel we need, you see. That's the gospel the world needs. And it's because it's the gospel that brings glory to Christ. The gospel is the good news of salvation in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ for sinners who, are, who by nature are under the wrath of God. The gospel of Christ is what matters most. And that's what Paul's been saying. What happens to him is is really beside the point. He knows that he's safe in God's hands, no matter what happens to him. As he says in verse 27, verse 21, to him, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's, That's everything to Paul. Christ, the gospel and glory of Christ. And it's not surprising then, that as Paul turns from speaking about his own situation, and as now he now turns to the Philippians and addresses them in, in their situation, it's not, it's not surprising that he writes to them in verse 27, only let your conversation, let your conduct be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. What these words make clear, congregation, is that living in a manner worthy of the gospel is not merely a good thing to do. It's not a... It's a matter of supreme importance. For one thing, it's a duty. It's a duty. You notice Paul doesn't make a suggestion here. It's a command. It's not optional. It's not a wish. That It's not a suggestion that Paul's making. It's a command, not a harsh command. No. No, Paul's, Paul's full of love. He's full of affection for these Philippians. But it's a loving command. And it's a command of God. Because Paul is writing, you remember, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that means that living this way, living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, 
is very important. This is how we must live, beloved. We must live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. To not live this way, to not live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, is really disobedience. It's sin. Sin against God. Sin against grace. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel is a duty. Now, we need to be clear. It's not that we must live in a manner worthy of the gospel in order to be saved. No. If that's what the text was saying, then none of us would have any hope. We could not do this. We can't do this. But living in a manner worthy of the gospel doesn't save us. It's believing the gospel. It's believing, trusting in Jesus Christ, the one whom the gospel proclaims and reveals. That's what saves us. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so the, that means that if you are here this morning, if you are here this morning and you aren't saved, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't live in a manner worthy of the gospel if you're not already a Christian, if you're not already a partaker of the gospel. You simply can't. It's impossible. But that doesn't give you an excuse. It doesn't mean that you can say now, well, I'm not a Christian, so I don't really need to pay attention to this. I don't need to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. You cannot say that. Why not? This is why. Because you have no business not being a Christian. If you have heard God's gospel promise of salvation to whoever believes in Jesus Christ even once, beloved, you have no business not being saved. Do you believe that? Ah, oh, yeah, but faith is a gift of God. Yes, it is. 100%. But the Bible is also clear. The Bible is also clear that your unbelief if you are an unbeliever this morning, is not God's fault. It's not. The fact is that God sincerely offers salvation to everyone who hears the gospel. Remember Jesus, when he, he, he looked upon Jerusalem in his ministry, and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how, how I would have loved to have gathered you under my wings, as it were, as, as, a, chick, as a, a hen gathers its, its chicks under its wings. But, but what did he say? You would not. What is it saying? It's saying that it's our own fault. It's our own fault if we don't believe, if we're not saved, if we're not a Christian, and not living in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so the point is, uh, I bring this to your attention now, because I don't want you to think, if you are unsaved here this morning, that you don't need to, to listen. You do need to listen. God is speaking to you in this text. He's pleading with you to repent and to be converted to believe the gospel, to believe in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified on the cross for the sins of many, and, and to come to Him, and you shall be saved. That's what He's pleading with you to do, and, and then He's pleading with you, once you've done that, then He's calling you, then live in a manner worthy of that gospel. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. You see, living in a manner worthy of the gospel is the duty. It's the duty of those who are saved. Maybe you say, why? Because being saved means more than just being saved from hell. Being saved, congregation, means being transferred. Transferred from the power of darkness, from the kingdom of darkness, of Satan, to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
so that you become, you become a citizen, a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. And that's really the idea here. The, the phrase, let your conversation be, in the Greek, refers to this idea of citizenship. Christians are people who, yes, they, they live in this world, yes, but they are citizens of heaven. Paul says that in Philippians 3 verse 20. He says our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here, even though right now we still live here. And of course, we have responsibilities and, and callings to our, with regards to our earthly citizenships as well. But our citizenship, our, our lasting, most important citizenship is in heaven. And, and, and so what he's saying then is that Christian churches are, are really kind of like outposts, outposts of heaven. In the Philippians, they, they would have understood that picture, perhaps a bit more so than, than we, because Philippi was a Roman colony. It was like an outpost of Rome. And, and many of the people living there in Philippi were Roman citizens. They were citizens of Rome, the center of the most powerful empire on earth at the time. That was a wonderful privilege, a great privilege. But it also brought with it certain expectations, certain responsibilities. A Roman citizen couldn't live just however he wanted. Being a Roman citizen meant you were to live in a manner worthy of Rome, in a way that would uphold and promote the honor and glory of Rome and of the Roman emperor. And the point of our text is that in the, then in the same way, as Christians, we too are citizens. But we are citizens of a far greater empire than Rome or than any other empire that has ever existed in this world. We are citizens of the kingdom, the empire of heaven. Beloved, there's no greater citizenship than that. There's no greater... There's no citizenship that has greater privileges than this citizenship. But that also means you cannot live however you want. We cannot live however we want. We have a duty, we have an obligation as citizens of heaven to live in a way that reflects our heavenly citizenship, that upholds and promotes the honor and the glory of this kingdom that we have been brought into by grace through the gospel. We have a responsibility to, to uphold and promote the honor and glory of the King of this kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we belong if we are Christians. And that means living in a manner worthy of the gospel, because it's the gospel, the good news, by which we were saved and were made a citizen of heaven. So your citizenship, your citizenship as a Christian, makes us supremely important, living in a manner worthy of the gospel. You know, I was... I came across a news article this, this past week talking about because it was Canada Day yesterday, of course, and talking about the, these Canadian citizenship tests that you have to take when you become a citizen. And usually about 92% pass. But then they, they, they had a survey, a, a report out. They, they tested people who are already Canadians. And uh, I, I believe the number was around 23% uh, passed. I, I wonder... I wonder if that could be true sometimes of, of the church, of ourselves. We pass heaven's citizenship test. We should, because living in a manner worthy of the gospel is, is really our main duty as Christians. Our text makes that clear with the very first word, only, only. Paul's writing from Rome. He's waiting for Caesar's verdict and sentence. He's expecting to be released, but he knows that it's possible 
as we see in the verses before, he knows it's possible he could be put to death. And so he doesn't know if he's going to see the, 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 the Philippians again. And so he says, listen, listen, whatever happens to me, whether I come and see you or whether I, 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 I'm absent, this, this, is, this is what I want you to do. This is the one thing necessary. This is to be your focus, your aim, your goal as Christians. As citizens of heaven, only this. Let your conversation, your conduct be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. It's to be our main focus in life. Is it? No, one way you can tell is by looking at your prayer life. What do you pray for at the beginning of each day? Is it, is it something along these lines? You would live, Lord, help me to live as a citizen of heaven. Help me to live, Lord, in a manner worthy of the gospel today. Or, 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 is, it, or is it just something along the lines of, please help me have a good day. Help me to get my work done. Keep me safe on the road. And, and that kind of thing. It's not wrong to pray those things, of course. But do we ever pray this, that, that we would live in a manner worthy of the gospel as we go to our job site, as we spend time with our little ones in the home, Lord, help me to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And when we come to, to, to the end of the day, do we confess to God the times that we didn't do that? Do we thank Him for the times that we did by His grace? We should, shouldn't we? If I'm reading, if we're reading this text, understanding this text rightly, we should. Because living in a manner worthy of the gospel, our text is telling us, is supremely important. Well, maybe you say, well, what does that, what does that look like? What does living in a manner worthy of the gospel really look like? And that brings us to our second heading. The essential features, the essential features or marks of living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We see this in the second half of verse 27 through to the middle of verse 28. I'm going to start at the beginning though just so we get the flow. So verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that, now here it is, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. That's what living in a manner worthy of the gospel looks like. It's kind of got some battlefield language, doesn't it? Stand fast. Strive. Strive. Don't be terrified by your enemies, your adversaries. You remember how we said that Christian churches are kind of like outposts of heaven? Right? Well, now we know, now we're told what kind of outposts they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be military outposts, as it were. And that means that as Christian churches and as Christians in those churches, we are to be committed to defending and fighting for something. And the thing we are to be committed to, to fighting for and defending, is this the faith of the gospel. Meaning the truths and the teachings, the promises, everything that's revealed in the gospel that we confess to believe. That's what living in a manner worthy of the gospel boils down to. It boils down to commitment. Commitment 
not just in our confession, but in our conduct, commitment to the gospel. And our text breaks that down into at least four parts, four essential features of living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. For one thing, it means our commitment to the gospel must be firm. It must be firm. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I want to hear of your affairs, but you stand fast. Or more literally, you are standing fast. You are standing firm. Beloved, we must be firmly committed to the gospel. Not just for the Philippians, Paul says, not just when I'm around. For us, it's, it's not just when the elders come for a visit or the pastor comes for a visit. Or when the pastor is around, or the elders are around, or somebody, somebody like that is around. No, we're to be committed to the gospel firmly at all times. Just like Paul. Paul, Paul, Paul can write about this, you know, because here he is, he's in chains. He was in chains for the sake of the gospel, but he didn't back down. He didn't back down from it. He continually stood fast. He stood firm. And so must we. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel means being firmly committed to the gospel and all that it teaches. Does that describe us? Are we firmly committed to the gospel of Christ? Are we firmly committed, for example, to what it teaches us about sin? The question isn't just about what we confess. That, that's certainly part of it. Part of the reason our denomination, the Free Reformed Churches, exists is because the state church in Holland in the 1800s wasn't doing this. They weren't standing firm in their commitment to the gospel. And that's happened over and over again in the history of the church. We need to remember that and, and not think that we, we are somehow you know, past that or beyond that. No, we shouldn't think that the same thing can never happen to us. We need to stand firm. But, but it's more about more than what we confess on paper. It's about how we're living. It's how we're living. Does the way we live reflect the gospel's view on sin? Maybe, maybe a few more specific examples. Does the way you live reflect the gospel's view on sexual immorality? Does the way you live, young people, reflect the gospel's view on, or older ones, on drunkenness? Does the way we live reflect the gospel's view on bitterness, on anger, on gossip, on slander? If we're firmly committed to the gospel of Christ, beloved, and the way we live will reflect the gospel's view on sin, the gospel's view on the love of the world, that it is evil, and it's something to be hated and repented of and fought against. It's what caused the death of Christ on the cross. It's what he died us to save us from. And the way we live then will also reflect the gospel's view on, on salvation. That it's only through faith in the, in the God-man Jesus Christ who died on the cross for the sins of many. And it will, the way we live will reflect that, that 
that that salvation, all of it, including the act of faith itself, is by the grace of God alone, so that there be no pride in our hearts and lives. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ means being in our confession as well as our conduct firm in a commitment to the gospel. But it also means, secondly, being united, being united in this commitment. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ means that we stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Do you hear the emphasis on unity here? One, one, together. Be united in your commitment to the gospel. After all, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, there was one body, speaking of the church, and there's one spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, and that's most likely the spirit that's being referred to in our, in our text as well, it's the Holy Spirit. Paul's point is to be, that we be united in our commitment to the gospel, work together, work as a team, because we are one body, we are united to Christ by the Spirit. Don't let then personal ambitions or personal pride or personal views on certain things, other things, destroy your united commitment to the gospel. Again, congregation, does that describe us? Does the way way you and I live show that we are striving together, striving together for the faith of the gospel? If it doesn't, the way you're living does not show that. And if we're to be faithful to the text, as we are called to be, we need to repent. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ means being firmly and unitedly committed to the gospel, to the faith of the gospel. But that commitment must not be passive. It must be active. That's the third thing. We must strive Strive together. And that striving must not be just negative. Right? It must not be just against uh, the things that, that oppose and that contradict the gospel. That's important. But it's more than that. It must also be positive. We must strive for the faith of the gospel. In other words, as Christians, we are not just to defend the gospel. We are to actively promote it. We are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Our church, our church is not to be a spiritual ghetto. Is to be an outpost of heaven. And our calling is not simply to defend this outpost. Our calling as Christians is also to go out and fight by evangelizing, by proclaiming the gospel, which is the very power of God unto salvation to those who believe, to everyone who believes. So that with the blessing of God, we don't just defend then our outpost, but we start more outposts. So the kingdom of heaven continues to invade the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Satan. So we plant more churches. That's our calling. That's our calling as as Christians, as Christian church. That's what it means to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Our commitment to the gospel must be an active commitment. Is that the kind of commitment we have? If it is, then won't we want to do more than sit in a pew on Sunday? Won't we want to seek ways, if we are able at least, to to actively strive together for the faith of the gospel? 
And we could apply this many, many different ways. You can think about how you could do this, maybe when you are at home today. But, but let me just take one application, possible application here. Maybe men. Maybe men, that means serving as an office bearer. Or would you say, I'm not qualified? Well, then shouldn't you strive to become qualified? Shouldn't you strive to develop the Christian character that the Bible says pastors and elders and deacons should have? Isn't that part of striving together for the faith of the gospel? Or maybe it means teaching a class, a Sunday school class, or or being involved in youth work, or or in different opportunities that we have of, of serving here in this church and serving our community as well. But I think of parents, young, young moms at home. Doesn't it mean striving together, actively striving together for the faith of the gospel that, that, that you, you intentionally, actively seek to teach your children the gospel? You present to them the claims of Christ, the claims of their baptism, and you call them to come to him, and you teach them, and you raise them in the ways of the Lord together uh, with, with your husbands, of course. The point is living in a manner worthy of the gospel means being active in our commitment to the gospel. And the fourth thing, the fourth thing about this commitment is that it must be courageous. We are to stand fast in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And, verse 28, in nothing terrified by our adversaries. Jesus told his disciples in John 15 that because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates Christians because it hates Christ. So there's going to be adversaries. There's going to be opposition. But living in a manner worthy of the gospel means being so committed to it that we are willing to endure whatever the opponents of the gospel might say or do to us. It means that whatever it costs, we stay faithful We stay faithful to the gospel. We must not allow ourselves to be spooked like a horse if it would come upon a a group of rattlesnakes or something. Somebody was telling me about somebody back years ago. He took his horse into the Lethbridge coolies and they came upon a whole group of of rattlesnakes. And the the rider, of course, had to very carefully try and shoo the rattlesnakes away. The horse was was getting, was getting anxious and tense. And of course, we understand that, right? When, when there's a snakes and the, the horse naturally wants to spook. But we're not to do that. Even if it means persecution. Even if it means scoring. Even if it means rejection or isolation or loss of a job opportunity or fines or beatings or prison. Even if it means death. We are called not to be intimidated. Not to be spooked. We are called to stay committed to the gospel and all that it teaches in nothing, in nothing terrified by our adversaries. We are not to abandon it. That's what our text is saying. Our commitment to the gospel must be courageous. And so again, the question comes, do we have this commitment? Do you have it? Are we firmly, unitedly, actively, and courageously committed to the gospel? That's what it means. That's what our text is saying it means to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But how in the world can we do that? 
Well, that brings us to our third and last point. The great encouragements. The great encouragements. After explaining, Paul explains what living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ is. It's about this commitment. He continues in the second part of verse 28. Which, referring to this commitment he's been describing, is to them, to the adversaries, an evident token of perdition. But to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. What we see here in these words, beloved, are two great encouragements to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The first encouragement is this. Living in this way assures us of our final salvation and the final destruction of the enemies of the gospel. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, being committed to it even in the face of terrible opposition is an evident token a clear signal of the coming perdition or destruction of all who oppose the gospel and of the coming final salvation of those who believe it and that of God. In other words, our suffering and enduring opposition and persecution for the sake of the gospel assures us of our salvation in Jesus Christ. You say, how can that be? How can that be? Because suffering is really part of the package. Verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. This is an astonishing statement. We have here one of the clearest statements in the Bible. That faith is a free and sovereign, undeserved gift of God. It's not something that we work up by our own will, our own free will. It's it's a gift of God. You can't get around that in this text. I don't know how Arminians uh, do that. But what's just as clear and even more striking is that to those whom God has freely given this gift of faith, He also freely gives the gift of suffering for Christ's sake. In other words, being saved means you're going to suffer for Christ. Just like Paul, having the same conflict which you saw in me, he says in verse 30, probably referring to him and Silas being beaten and thrown into prison in Acts 16. And now here is in me. Suffering for Christ is part of the package. The Bible declares this over and over and over again. I'm going to just give a few examples. In Acts 14, verse 22, we read that Paul and Barnabas returned to the churches they had just planted on their first missionary journey. And it says there that they were confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. Tribulation is part of the package. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Paul writes to Timothy, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus will, shall suffer persecution. Persecution is part of the package. And we could go through the Bible and find countless more 
very many more texts that say the same thing. Now, my guess is that for most of us, if not all of us, this is a little hard to swallow. We don't naturally want to suffer. The point is not that we should want or seek suffering for its own sake. The, the point is that if we are believers, and if we are living in a manner worthy of the gospel, we will suffer. We might suffer to different extents and in different ways, but we will suffer. We will suffer persecution from Satan. You think of Job. We will suffer persecution from our own sinful flesh. And we will suffer persecution from the world. We don't like it. We wish we didn't have to. I read somebody sent me something this week and quoting some, some book by, I think, Nancy Guthrie. And she wrote something to this effect. We, you know, we would rather have Christianity light. Christianity light. That's not the way it works. Suffering for Christ's sake is part of the package. There's no other way to understand this verse. But now this is the comfort then. Because it's part of the package, suffering opposition and persecution and tribulation for the sake of the gospel is not a sign that we're doing something wrong or that God has failed, or that His gospel promises aren't true. It's actually the opposite. It's a clear sign from God of our salvation from Him. And on the flip side, it's a sign from God that all those who oppose the gospel will perish. He will punish them with everlasting destruction. That's a sobering warning if you are here and you are unconverted. If you're resisting the gospel, don't continue in that way. Repent and believe the gospel. But for you who do believe the gospel, here's the encouragement. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, being committed to the gospel even in the face of opposition is one way God gives assurance of salvation. Do you want assurance of salvation? And do what our text is telling to do. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Be firmly and unitedly and actively and courageously committed to the gospel. That gives you assurance. That's the first encouragement. But I, I can hear someone say, I can't do that. I can't do it. Well, this is the second encouragement. Living in this way, living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Being committed to the gospel no matter what. Comes from God. God doesn't just give suffering, you see. He gives faith. He gives faith to endure, to persevere. He gives the grace and the strength we need to endure it by His Holy Spirit. If it was up to us, we could never do it. We couldn't. We couldn't. We don't have it in ourselves, that strength and that courage for that kind of commitment. It comes from God, you see, through His Holy Spirit. You remember how when Peter and John, the first time they, uh, they suffered in Acts 3, after the healing of the lame man and the preaching of the gospel there in the temple and the, the religious leaders came and uh, arrested them as it were and, and threatened them not to preach in that name anymore, the name of Christ. And in Acts 4, then we read that they went to their fellow Christians and they prayed and they asked God, they asked God for boldness to speak the gospel. And what happened? What happened? When they had prayed, 
It says there in Acts 4, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So you see, this call to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, it should, as, as one, one preacher I, I read said, it should crumple us all to our knees. Because we can't do it on our, in ourselves. But God himself promises to give the strength, the faith we need. So that encourages us then, doesn't it, to go forward, to go forward into our lives and living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's our calling, congregation. If we are Christians, we are part of something far bigger than ourselves. We are part of the kingdom of heaven. And so let this be our resolve through all of life, also as we go through this summer season, only to let our conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, only to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God of heaven and of earth, you have said that on this one you will look, the one who trembles at your words. Father, we come, come to a text, really every text should make us tremble. But this text especially, we, we feel, oh God, our, our insufficiency. We see our failures and our inability. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so we come before you this morning after hearing this word to plead, to plead with you to give us this kind of commitment to the gospel. That we would live in a manner worthy of it this week, today, this week, this summer, and all our lives long. By the power of your Holy Spirit, oh God, we pray. So pour out your Spirit. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. And we pray, oh God, for those who have not yet been made citizens of heaven, who are here this morning, Help them to see that the citizenship they have now is only the citizenship of hell. And will bring them there if they don't repent. Oh Lord, would you work by your power, the power of your spirit and your mercy and your sovereign grace and bring them to repentance that they may be made citizens of heaven and live as we also along with us in a manner worthy of the gospel. We thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Without him we are nothing and we have nothing. But with him we have everything. 
Hear us, we pray. Bless us in our fellowship together as well. In Jesus' name, amen.